you didn't know anything about God and you picked up this little book of Isaiah <laughs> and you read through it, what, what would you think about this God? What would you know about God? He judges sin. He judges sin. That's been a, a recurrent theme, hasn't it? What else? He's sovereign. That was one that was especially meaningful to me, just that sovereign over the nations and using those kings that think they're all that and they're taking over the world, but really they're just little pawns in God's big scheme. And so he's, he's sovereign over them without them even knowing it. What else? He's creator several times, even in these last chapters, talking about you know everything that exists, God made it. So he's our creator. Yes. His purposes will stand. Yes, he has, he has a plan and we fumble around and he still accomplishes his purposes. And he doesn't change his mind because we whine. <laughs> I know because, you know, it, it didn't work. No. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah, he blesses those that... Oh, repentance okay yes he blesses those who yes. confess their sins who repent who listen to him and not turn away and do not rebel um, you know there's a lot of kind of negative um, themes and and uh, sections of the book about judgment but there's a lot about how he's our father and he wants to bless us and he wants he, his people are near and dear to him and and um, we, we certainly shouldn't neglect that part. Anything else that you can think of that's been kind of a major theme about what we've learned about God? A lot of loving kindness. A lot of loving kindness, yes. Did you notice any other themes other than what we learned about God? I mean, I think that's the most important thing when you're studying a book in the Bible is, well, what am I learning about God? But what, what else? Any other kind of recurrent? His plans are never thwarted. His plans are never thwarted. That means if you thought you knew where you were going and everything falls apart and roadblocks come up and you've got to make U-turns out in the muck, God's plan is not thwarted. You may be taking a little, a little detour where you're going to learn some important things or God's going to connect you with some important people or whatever he has planned. So, so we can trust him even when the way looks pretty yuck. Man's stubborn human nature. Man's stubborn human nature. Oh, aren't there some choice phrases in there about... about us doing our own thing and repeatedly doing our own thing and God saying, here am I, here am I, you know, I, I, I want you, I invite you to come back. So faithful to his chosen people, to his chosen people for sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just his, his faithfulness. And I did, um, I didn't do this myself. I stole it from somebody and kind of changed it a little bit, but um, somebody has said that here's an outline of the book of, of Isaiah is that the first five chapters, remember it talked about judgment, you know, dumb as, dumb as donkeys or stubborn as donkeys and what was it? Dumb as 
yeah, dumb as an ox and stubborn as a donkey. And, and judgment's coming. You guys are just going through the motions. You, you think everything's fine, but your heart is far from me. So the first five chapters talk about those sorts of things. And then chapter six, well, it says that judgment, you don't have to be submit, you don't have to be, um, you don't have to undergo this judgment. God himself is providing an alternative and, and almost pleading with us to, to accept his alternative. And so starting in chapter six, remember what happened in chapter six? Isaiah's call. And so if we will hear God's call, and what, he heard God's call, and what else did he do? He repented. He recognized his own sinfulness. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And he allowed God to cleanse him and then commission him, you know, give him, give him a, a role to serve God. So he became a servant. So if we hear God's call, and then 7 to 39, that whole big section, that was the part about all those different countries. Remember uh, King Ahaz? And, and he was trusting in another nation and, uh, when there was a, a political threat. And God said, no, I want you to trust in me. And so then it talks about how God is sovereign over all those nations. So that was a big chunk of the book. So stop trusting other whatever, nations, political, whatever, other stuff besides God. And then when we get to 40, that started the new section, chapter 40, believe God is gracious because that's when he talks about comfort, comfort my people. Yes, you guys have gotten on the wrong track, but I love you. You're my people. I've chosen you. I have a purpose and a plan for you. Please come back. Listen to me. And in that section, he, he just wants them to understand that all is not lost, right? And so then 49 to 55, that has chapter 53 in it. What's chapter 53 about? Jesus as the suffering servant, right? And so we have to accept that what he did was enough that he, his sin offering is appropriately covers me if I, if I accept that. And then I didn't have room to write the last um, section of 56 to 66, but uh, that's also what I was going to write over there, a little expansion. So you probably have your, your outline page where, where that last section 56 to 66 is in blue and basically there's three points in this last section so judgment can be avoided if we listen to God's call if we respond to it and say yes if we stop trusting other entities if we believe that God is gracious and invites us to come and if we accept that the servant's sacrifice is adequate and so then the last section is, okay, if I am a true servant, how can I tell? Is my character godly? And there's three, three sections. One is, he tells them again, listen, you can't do this on your own. You simply can't be godly. You might put on a pretty good show, but in your heart of hearts, you can't be godly apart from God's enabling. And then, uh, and that's 56, 57, 58, 59. You can find your outline. And then 60 to 62 is God working in his people. We can't do it ourselves, but God wants to work in those that are willing and open, um, showing his glory and making people holy. And then the last section where we are today is 63 through 66. And 
it's just a, a summary of Israel has been faithless, but God is still faithful. And he, and he says, are you guys rebels or are you servants? Are you my enemy or are you my servant? He uses the word servant a fair amount in these last chapters. And then the last section, uh, part of 65 and 66, is about the final judgment in the new heavens and the new earth. And are you going to be in the new heavens and the new earth? That's the challenge. And so we'll, we'll look at those things, okay? All right. That's the, that's the big, um, big picture. Um, so let's look at chapter 64. What's happening in chapter 64? Did you make a title for 64? Israel's plea for deliverance, okay? Different, little different wording. Somebody else? Are you staring at a blank line? <laughs> I realized this morning, oh, I never wrote a title for, I think it was 65. Uh, some, something about their plea, their, their, um, you know, their praying, because the very first line, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And then they talk about these dramatic things. And they're probably thinking about when God met with them, either with Moses or with the people at Mount Sinai, when, when there was a lot of, um, uh, atmospheric things happening talks about the mountains quaking and the and there was fire and and uh, there were trembling and and they came down the mountain and and um, uh, I love verse four for from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear nor has the eye seen a God besides you in other words you're the only God we know of who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. And then he talks about, well, you were angry. So, <clears throat> yes, yes, it is a continuation. I think about, um, well, let's see, where did they, I think I brought 63. They started in 63 talking about, talking to God and saying, hey, what's happening? Um, they talked about, his, in 63, they talked about the things God had done on their behalf in the past, kind of like they are here talking about, about Mount Sinai. And then they're talking about that, that he's been good and he's, his loving kindness and all that. And then, and then they, they say, um, well, let's see. Uh, look, oh, like at the end of chapter 63, he says, you're, you're our father, but um, why do you cause us to stray from your ways and harden your heart from, harden our heart from fearing you? So they're thinking that that distance that they feel, that separation, that, that uh, barrier that they feel before God, they're thinking God has turned his face away. And he's like, no. Yes, they're kind of blaming God. 
And I've heard that other people do that. I mean, I don't know firsthand, but, but blaming God, uh, God, why are you so distant? And he's like, <clears throat> shall we talk about this and this, you know? So, so they're, they're still saying, oh, God, we want to hear from you. God, we want to hear from you. And, and he's saying, okay, well, you might not like everything I have to say, but, but yes, we'll talk. And so um, starting in verse 5, it's kind of a confession, right? They talk about um, who God deals with. And then, he, and then they say, we sinned and we continued in them a long time. And shall we be saved? Kind of like, is there any hope for us? Uh, all of us have become like one who is unclean and our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment and we wither like a leaf and, and, and you know, we're just blown around by wind, by, like the wind, by our sin. In other words, we wither like a leaf that can be just taken wherever by the wind. He's saying that's like our sins will lead us places we didn't intend to go kind of at the mercy, you know. And what some famous theologian said, something about sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go or something like that. And so it's that picture. And then when he talks about our righteous deeds, like things that we do that we think impress God are like filthy garments, that's menstruation garments, if you look it up. So think about what a lovely picture that is. Um, there's, and none of us call on your name or take hold of you. And then they say in the end of verse 7, you've hidden your face from us and you've delivered us into the power of our sins. Well, sort of, as a consequence of their sin, uh, some, they're experiencing some of that. They're experiencing um, a distance, a barrier to fellowship, and they're experiencing some of God's disciplinary measures where he's not rescuing them from every little thing that happens. He's, especially when they go into exile, he's letting them bear the consequences of some of their choices, which include sinful choices. Um, okay, so in 8 to 12 then, um, how do they address God in, the, in verse 8? father and and I, I think they've already let's see in chapter 63 they called him father or he called himself their father let's see 6316 you, you are our father so that if I'm not mistaken it's used twice in in 6316 um I think that's the very first time in the whole book of all the different titles and ways of describing God and his relationship, I think that's the first time that they've used the term father. So, so that's a more personal um, relationship than just you're our creator or you're our, you know, you're the Lord of hosts or some of those other titles. So you are our father. And then um, how else do they, do they describe like, what their relationship is with him. In verse 8, there's another picture. Okay, so they're saying, yep, you're the one in charge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Jeremiah, do you happen to know what no, chapter? No, oh, okay. Yeah, sometime, someplace in Jeremiah, um, he uses that same picture of God being the potter. Okay, so then he, then he goes on and talks about being their creator. And, and um, uh, at the end of verse 9, all of us are your people. So, they're, so they're, they're, it seems like they're kind of coming toward God and wanting to, like, they want him to do something. And yet he says it's their sin that's separating, but they want, they want God to act or to do something, right? So verse 9, they say, well, don't be angry beyond measure, O Lord, nor remember our iniquity forever. And so they're, they're not denying their sin, but when they say beyond measure, it means like, um, oh, I looked up the words. It means um, uh, excessive, um, severely, uh, to a great degree. In other words, um, you know, don't, don't, yeah, don't over punish us. You know, we, we acknowledge that we have sinned, but you know, is it almost time to, <laughs> yeah, give us a break. And, and um, so then he talk, they talk about, um, it's really a plea for mercy. Um, yes, we're sinners. Yes, we deserve judgment, but we are your people, Lord. And please don't give us what we deserve is basically, you know, you hear people say, I want what I deserve. And all of us should be very grateful that we don't, God does not give us what we deserve, what we deserve. So, um, let's see. Okay, let's go on to 65. That was a pretty short little chapter. Okay, 65. What did you put for a theme or what's the main point or... What question is being asked or answered? Israel answer? provokes God. Israel provokes God. The Lord's answer. <laughs> the Lord's answer. Yeah, they've been, they've been saying, oh, God, you know, will you do this? Will you come down? Uh, you know, all that stuff. And so it's his answer. And actually, that's what um, one commentator that I looked at called. He said that this chapter is God's answer um, uh, to the prayer of the remnant. Um, okay, so um, how, he, first of all, he says, like they said, don't hide your face. Are you going to, you know, hold away from us forever? And then he says, listen, I permitted myself to be sought by those who didn't even ask for me. And I permitted myself to be found by those who weren't even seeking me. And I said, here, I, here am I, here am I, you know, and somebody said, he's saying, I'm ready. When you guys are ready to turn around, I'm ready. I'm here. I'm waiting. Um, to a nation that did not call on my name, I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people. So, so he's saying he's there. He's, he's um, uh, when they, they said back in chapter 64, well, you've hidden your face from us. And he's saying, look, I'm, I'm here. I haven't gone anywhere. If you can't, if you can't see my face, it's because you've turned away from my face. I'm still here. So um, how in the first five verses there, what are some different um, aspects of the problem? What does God say, say about them? People flagrantly 
Okay. They provoke him flagrantly. Rebellious. rebellious to my face. Provoke me to my face. Verse 3. What else? Walk in their own ways. Walk in their own ways. Hmm. Yeah, I know better. <laughs> yeah. Because he also talks about idolatry, which idolatry kind of at the bottom, if you dig what's behind that idolatry, is I want to call the shots, right? I don't want to listen to this God, so I'm going to kind of make my own little God, and this little God's going to kind of be how I think it should be. And I can please it how I think I should please it and all that. So it's still doing our own thing. Anything else? Well, I call that a, a, a lesson for life. A yes. Yes. We think we know better. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Lesson for life. In verse 24, it talks about these little sins. Mm-hmm. And got from God's perspective, yeah. God's perspective. Yes. These little things are really important. So in verse 3 and 4, it talks about, you know, burning incense on bricks. And, mm -hmm. and let's say, you know, you just do it once or whatever. Right. But he's saying that it's just a pattern of stuff that I've done every day. Good point. In my life, I really have to be careful about being neglect, neglectful of my spiritual life and and the little things do matter and, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. on one hand you don't want to get overly legalistic about every about every little thing right little thing, right it is kind of tough to really where is my heart mm -hmm. and you know because i don't know that kind of sticks me yes he's saying uh you know, some of these things may seem small, what Lana's saying, uh, but they're a pattern. And so a little pattern a long time could become a big thing. And he's saying not only your sins, but even your father's sins. This is, this is something that's been going on a while, he says. And they're like uh, smoke in his nostrils. Um, Spurgeon, who was an old-time preacher, um, this is kind of a little bit archaic language, but he said... Uh, when he was preaching on this passage about um, about their sins, uh, the broth of unclean meat is in their pots. They eat swine's flesh, flesh and all that stuff. He said, the weed of self-righteousness will grow on any dunghill. In other words, in any area of life. Um, no heap of rubbish is too rubbish is too rotten for the accursed toadstool of self-righteousness, uh, of proud self to grow upon. And I had a more quote, but that's enough for that. That's, yeah, when we take that in. <laughs> yeah, so. We're not just worms, we're dunghills. Yeah. <laughs> so um, in six and seven then, um, what's, what's going on they they want god um yeah it's kind of like they said come on god show us your face and he's like well okay but we need to talk we need to talk they always say that um the phrase that men um uh, dread the most married men dread the most from their wife is we need to talk 
And that's what God's, because they're like, oh boy, what is it now, you know? So, so God's, yes. Yes, what do you, what do you see? Yes. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is I studied that. Um, it was the Jewish exiles that did not, the remnant that did not listen to him, but it was the Gentiles that did. Now, am I well, I think, I think as we go into 65 and 66, we're going to see that more and more that welcoming the Gentiles in. Because he says, my people did not listen. My people did not listen. Um, what Shirley's talking about is uh, the first verse of chapter 65. Paul quotes in Romans 10, verses uh, 20 and 21, about permitting himself to be sought by those that weren't looking for him and making himself available. Yes, okay, that's good. Yep. Okay, so... So 6 and 7 then, God says, well, you might not like uh, what I have to say. And so then verse 8, thus says the Lord. So now um, I guess it's going to be his answer, right? And so the first couple of lines, what's that stuff about wine and grapes and all that? Okay, because he says, um, as the new wine is found in the cluster, so I, I'm assuming that means like the cluster of grapes, um, and one says, well, don't destroy it, for there is benefit in it. So I think he's, I think he's talking about a, a, a portion, like the remnant that he's talked about before, that there will be some good. So not everybody's lost, not everybody's under judgment, not everybody has, has um, uh, determined to stick with their idols. Some are open and some are listening to him. So um, in the first seven verses, he says, no, 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 I'm, it's not that I'm unwilling to help. And then starting in eight, he says, okay, well, here's kind of the conditions. Here's who's going to receive my help. And he talks about then like down in um, 10, he talks about my people who, okay, so the people who seek him, they can't just sit around and expect that he's going to wave a magic wand. In um, verse 12, uh, let's see, no, what verse do I want? You didn't want it. Maybe it's... Um, yeah, maybe verse 12, because he says some of them didn't listen and obey. So, but, and they'll be punished, but the ones who do listen and obey, they will, they will hear from God. Um, so he's promising that there's going to be a remnant, because if you go on to verse 9, he says, I will bring forth offspring from Jacob. I will uh, bring an heir of my mountains from Judah. So he's talking... Uh, mostly I think about the Jews here, a remnant of Jews will believe, and even my chosen one shall inherit it, and my servants will dwell there. So where's it and there? Probably 
probably the land in Jerusalem, yeah. And then he talks about Sharon will be a pasture land for flocks and the Valley of Achor, a resting place for herds. Um, Sharon was a fertile plain and was probably, or probably had some forest and the Valley of Achor was, um, was kind of barren. 10? Yes. Yes. Right. No, he's going to bring forth offspring from Jacob and an heir of my mountains from Judah. Okay, so I have a question. Yes. Um, all through the book, um, we're referred to offspring from Jacob. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to me why it's always Jacob brought up versus all the others? Oh, I think because maybe off the top of my head, because Jacob's sons gave rise to the 12 tribes. Okay. That's what I would say. Okay. That I mean. I thought it was because he wrestled with God. Well, that could be part of it. I don't know. I just thought it was because of the origin of all the tribes. Okay, but I don't know. Could you go back and just say the, the Sharon and the Achor? Oh, um, I looked up a little bit about Sharon and uh, the Valley of Achor. Sharon is to the west. So he's talking about the land, right? So Sharon is to the west. And it's a, it's the fertile coastal plain, and there's some trees on it. And then the Valley of Acor is is more east. So just like a, a western reference, but yeah, I think so. Um, you find out more, so Carol. Luke, yeah, um, in Joshua, the Valley um, Acor was was where the Valley of Trouble. Oh yes, Joshua and 7. So then now it's a resting place. It was mm -hmm. trouble, now it's a place of rest. Um, Joshua 7 was, uh, remember when Achor, uh, Achan mm -hmm. took some of, the, some of the bounty that they were not supposed to take, and so the word means Valley of Trouble. And so he says it, uh, God is going to make that into a resting place. It used to be a Valley of Trouble because of disobedience to God. But if they're obedient, then it'll be a resting place. And then he closes out that verse by saying, For my people who do seek me, who obey the covenant, don't rely on religious activity, don't turn to other gods, all that stuff. And then verse 11, what's the first word? But. Okay, so this group uh, in 11 and 12, how are they described? Now he's talking about a different group. But you... Forsake the Lord, forget his holy mountain. What about fortune and destiny and all that stuff? What is that about? Gambling. <laughs> Gambling, <laughs> fortune, <laughs> could be. Um, what I found out is that fortune was a Babylonian <laughs> god of, um, it was Gad, G-A-D, or God, or however you pronounce it, but it was a Babylonian god of fortune, or good fortune, or something like that. So, so, but it's a Babylonian god. And fill cups with mixed wine. In other words, you welcome them, you fellowship with them. Uh, Destiny is um, a Babylonian goddess, and more about, like, fate, or destiny. So, so what he's saying is, you guys, 
you, you know, you forsake me, you forget my holy mountain, you fellowship with, you have ritual meals, uh, you, you hang out with, you welcome these Babylonian gods and goddesses into your life. And he says, yeah, you hang out with destiny and I will destine you for the sword. <laughs> yeah, so a little play on words there. Yeah, yeah, you'll get your fill of destiny. Yeah. Okay, uh, verse 12, what's the consequence then if they do all these things? Forsaking God, forget, okay. Ultimately, it's death, right? Slaughter. I called, but you didn't answer. I spoke, but you didn't hear. And you did evil in my sight and chose that which I, in which I did not delight. Um, so verse 13, therefore, so going to be some kind of uh, summary or consequence or something. What word was used about five times in the next three, three or four verses? Behold my servants. So behold means listen up. Or when Jesus said, verily, verily, I say to you. It's like if you've been dozing through the rest of this, listen up to this and take notes. So <clears throat> my servants will eat, but you will be hungry. Who's you? Those Israel. Exactly. Those of Israel, the, the, big, the big chunk, not the remnant. Who forsake the Lord, forget his mountain, uh, hang out with these foreign gods, all that stuff. He's so, yes? Oh. Oh, I thought you had some great insight there. Um, so, my servants will eat, but you will be hungry. My servants will drink, but you will be thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servants will shout joyfully with a glad heart, but you will cry out with a heavy heart and wail with a broken spirit. So uh, this sounds a little bit like Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and cursings chapter. Well, that might be the, I can't remember if 28 is the blessing or the cursing. But he, he's talking about that there will be a difference in, in the results, in the consequences to those that follow him and those that don't follow him, that reject his ways, refuse to listen, uh, flaunt their idolatry. So um, down in 15 and 16, he's, what's the thing about the name? I, I actually wasn't too clear about all this name stuff. You will... You will leave your name for a curse to my chosen ones and the Lord will slay you. So I don't know if it means like um, that name, your name will be used as a curse word, kind of. I think it's the self-will tag of what we're named by our parents or our community. But I forgot what verse it is in the Bible that there is a hidden name for us. Oh, mm-hmm. He will give us a new name. Correct. Yes. And that's what I'm yes. I wondered if that was a hint in uh, the last line of verse 15. He says, but my servants will be called by another name. And I don't know if that's referring to the new name. You know, uh, Revelation talks about us getting a new name. Yeah. Yeah. And um, also someone pointed out, one of the commentators that I was consulting said that, 
uh, back in Genesis 12, when God first called Abraham, he was the first Jew, right? And, you know, your descendants will become a great nation and all that. And, and in Genesis chapter 2, um, the promise included land, which he talked about back up in verse 9 and 10, that they're going to they're going to they're going to be back in the land and all that. And um, they also talked about a name that that was part of the covenant, the, the name uh, Genesis 12 two. So it sounds like it says you will leave your name or a name is like your your character, your reputation, how you're known. So it sounds like that that those that are disobedient will be kind of like a curse word. Oh, you're going to be like a, you know, whoever. So Victoria. Yes. Just to clarify in verse 13 when he says my servants. Mhm. Mm so then those are the ones who don't forsake him. Right. Yes. The ones who up in um Yes, yes. The ones who do listen, who seek. In verse 10, it says they seek me, um, all that. He's been talking about in, in verse 8, he talked about some things. Yes, so the, so the people that truly serve God, they're going to be blessed, but the others will not be blessed. They will be cursed. And um, then, let's see, you will leave your name, the Lord will slay you, but my servants, again the contrast, will be called by another name because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth and he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth. Now, I think, isn't this the first time we've seen that title, the God of truth? No. Have we seen that before? I didn't remember it. I mean, I didn't do research to see, but... Um, Well, I'd like to, but I'm not sure I understand much more about it. Um, Susan's asking about what does verse 16 mean about uh, swears in the earth, blessed in the earth. Um, bless you. Bless you indeed, yes. It has to do with the idea that your name is how you are known. Yes, and your character. If you are if you are fulfilling God's purpose for you by obeying and all that, yes. Um, he who is blessed in the earth, if you go back up to 13, all that stuff about my servants will eat, my servants will drink, they will rejoice, they will, you know, they'll have a glad heart and all that. Um, in the earth, then they'll be blessed by the God of truth. The, um, that word truth is really amen, like amen. And it, so it's saying like the God who is... Um, it's a, I think it's about his sovereignty, that when God says something's going to happen, it's his truthfulness, his faithfulness, um, literally means so be it. When you say amen at the end of a prayer, you're kind of saying, you know, may you do that, Lord. And if somebody else says amen, they're saying, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Do that. Please do that, Lord. So I'm not totally clear. I'm not being able, I'm not able to give you a lot of clarity on swear by the God of truth not totally okay
Keeping your vows. Mm-hmm. And they're hidden from his and, sight. And mm-hmm. so the, the former troubles are forgotten. Mm-hmm. Puts away our sin. I don't know. Yeah. Is that scripture? I don't think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And remember somewhere else in scripture, God said that the Jews will be uh, become a byword. Yes. In other words, you hear that term, Jews down. Oh yeah, you Jew. Come on. You know. Don't be such a Jew. Jew Jew him down. Yeah. In chapter 58, uh, verses 8 through 12, um, Isaiah tells us all the blessings being a follower of being a remnant. And I just think this is an add-on. It is. It is. Yes. Yeah. These last few chapters, he's kind of circling back to some of those major themes and and saying, this is how it is. So, okay. um, Sorry, I don't have any more great insight on that. But um, let's see. Bless the earth, 16. Sir, uh, for this chapter, my title was uh, Remnant or Rebel. <laughs> and then I put Reap the Outcome. <laughs> A lot of R's there. So now he talks about, um, in verse 17, something that I don't think we've talked about before. So um, what's he, what does he say he's doing or going to do? So he's already said, I'm the creator, and everything you see, uh, you know, I, I'm behind that. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered, which echoes verse 16 that Marianne pointed out. Uh, former things will not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. And then he goes on and talks about how uh, there'll be longevity and all that. But um, I thought, okay, how does this all fit in? in the? Because has this happened yet? Do we have a new heavens and a new earth? No. no. Okay, so that's still in the future. And so I went through Revelation 19, 20, and 21 and tried to kind of make, assuming that it's more or less chronological, tried to make a a kind of an order of how things happen. So first in chapter 19, Jesus returns, you know, uh, war. And didn't last week, did you talk about he came from Edom, from Basra with with, um, blood-stained robes and all that? Oh, <laughs> and so, so after he comes and, and there's the war, then uh, Satan is bound, 
that's chapter 20, not verse 20. And then uh, he's bound for a thousand years. So there's this thousand year period that we usually refer to as the millennium or the millennial kingdom or the kingdom, although the kingdom is used other ways. And then at the end of that thousand years, Satan is loosed and for a short time, and then he's thrown into the lake of fire. He's not destroyed. It says he will be uh, tortured, I think is the word it uses, forever and ever. So that's in verse 10 of chapter 20. Then there's the great white throne judgment. Then the heaven and the earth pass away. That's why he can, he can create a new one. I mean, you know, the old one passes away. Um, and then death, death itself, is thrown into the lake of fire. That's in chapter 20. And then in chapter 21, there's a new heaven and a new earth, or heavens, and also new Jerusalem. I was running out of space. And then there's no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying, and all that, all that stuff. So when we look at 17 and 18 and 19, and he talks about the former things will not be remembered. They will be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. And he just said he creates a new heaven and a new earth um, and Jerusalem for rejoicing, for gladness, for rejoicing, for glad. I mean, glad, rejoice, uh, rejoicing, gladness, jo rejoice, glad. So like six times in those two verses. And there will no longer be heard the voice of weeping or the sound of crying. So that sounds like when? Before, during, or after the millennium? Kind of sounds like after, doesn't it? Because, because uh, sorrow and death and all those things are not destroyed until after that. And he talks about all this joy and gladness, joy and gladness, joy and gladness, okay? Now, I, I could be way wrong, but then when we go into chapter, or verse 20, it says, No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. And then he says, you know, if somebody just lives to be a hundred, if, if a youth dies at the age of 100, <laughs> then people will say, whoa, that was, that was really bad. You know, was there some curse on him? So this longevity and building houses and inhabiting them and gardens and, and planting and all that, that they're, gonna, they're going to reap the benefits of those things. In other words, there have been many times when they've built something and other groups have come in and benefited from either their vineyards or their buildings and that kind of thing. And then uh, he says, the days of my people will be like a tree's lifetime. Uh, they will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants. Uh, before they called, I will answer. And while they were still speaking, I will hear. And the wolf and the lamb will graze together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food. They will not do evil or harm in all my holy mountain. So now 20 to 25, where does, where does that sound like? I think because there's still death, even though there's this great longevity, there is still death. So I'm thinking now he's talking about that thousand-year reign. Just, but I mean. People were still able to sin. Yes. Yes. yes, yes. And it says here they will do no evil or harm 
in all my holy mountain. Uh, what verse is that? 25. The very last one. Um, that is a good point. But it, 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 otherwise, it does sound like the millennial to me. Also. I wonder if, if that last little phrase goes back to... Well, it is on the holy mountain. So if you take it literally, there would be no fire and snare yeah. on the holy mountain, right? Right. It says that Jesus uh, reigns with a rod of iron. So if everybody is is worshiping him and obeying him, he doesn't need a rod of iron. So there are during the millennial reign. So there are um, little sinners born during that time and and they have to choose, you know, because there'll be some people who survive the tribulation and go into the thousand years. And they might have children or, or uh, their children might have children. And so, I mean, a thousand years, it's quite a while. So there will be those that can rebel and do their own thing and refuse the lordship or the, the, king, the kingship of Jesus. So uh, it could be that that very last phrase refers back up to verse 17, 18, and 19, but I am not positive about that. If you look at... Um, these last, well, starting in, in verse 17 here. So 17 down to 25, is that generally good news or bad news? It's generally good news, right? New heaven, new earth, yeah, no crying, glad, rejoice, longevity, all that stuff. Then when we get into chapter 66, um, this is what I was going to write on the other board, that the first six verses in chapter 66 are more about judgment and there and there's a little bit mixed in but the first six verses in chapter 66 are about judgment then 7 to 14 in chapter 66 is more positive more hope more good news 66 verses 7 to 14 is hope then 66 15 16 17 there's a little section that's more about judgment and then you finish off uh, the chapter verses 18 through 24 is primarily hope so so it's like good news bad news yeah. good news bad news good news it's like a reflection of all of Isaiah it is it kind of summarizes all this all this here about judgment is coming but you don't have to undergo this awful judgment Remember, I'll do this and this and this for those that obey me, for those that seek me, for those that um, uh, listen to me. But if you rebel, if you cling to your idols, if you, if you don't listen, if you do all these things that are against me, then you will face judgment. But on the other hand, now remember, you, you don't have to. You can come to me. So he's kind of going back and forth and back and forth. Yes, like bookends, Shirley said. Mm hmm. Yes. And in uh, biblical literature, they use the word chiasma, C-H-I-A-S-M-A. Sometimes it has an M on the end of it. It's a chiasm. Maybe chiasma is plural. I don't know. And, and what that's, that is a Greek word. And it means this alternating, uh, like on your, on your Isaiah chart, did you look down here 
how it describes the last 11 chapters. Starts down on the left, says chapter 56, the first part. All nations are invited to join God's covenant family. Remember, that's when he talked about eunuchs and all that. Then, and then the um, second part of chapter 56, chapter 57 and chapter 58, that's a contrast between the wicked and the servants. Then uh, chapter 59 is a prayer of repentance. And then 60, 61 and 62 is the servant announces God's kingdom. Then when we get into 63 and 64, again, a prayer of repentance. We talked about that today in chapter 64. And 65 and the first part of 66 is going to be a, a contrast between the wicked and the servants. So he's and then he wraps it up with all nations are invited to join God's covenant family. So this is a this is a literary device where you say number one, number two, number three. Then you back up and you repeat number two in a slightly different way and you go back to number one. And so that middle thing is kind of the apex of the whole point. I tell you what I'm going to say, I say it, and then I tell you what I said, <laughs> you know. So, so that's kind of what's happening here, I think, at the end, too, where you've got hope, judgment, hope, judgment, hope. All right. It's poetry. It is. It's a form of poetry. Yes. Thank you. Okay. So let's look at 66. How are we doing time-wise? 11 o'clock. We're cruising. You guys are the smart class. Okay. If I can find my notes, we might be even smarter. Let's see. <clears throat> okay, what'd you put for your theme of chapter 66? What's the main point? What's the moral of the story? Well, I like your title, Remnant or Rebel. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of still about that a little bit, isn't it, in 66? Um, everybody put the exact same thing? Okay, so wrong. yours is long. That's okay. Mine are usually long. God will judge sin. But in the end, all mankind will bow before him. God will judge sin. But in the end, all mankind will bow before him. Okay, good. All the world will see the glory of God. Good, I like that. Um, one commentator said, rejoicing in God's ultimate victory. I said, creator God to make new heavens and new earth, because I thought, even though it was mentioned in the previous chapter, I thought that was, that was kind of important, but I didn't put anything about judgment in it. So I need to have a more balanced title. Okay. Um, all right. So the first um, few verses, who's talking? Thus says the Lord. Okay. So, so God's talking. And let's say... Um, the first couple of verses, what's he, what's he saying? First two verses. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I'm God. I'm the Creator. You can't, you can't contain me in a house. And, and there was that kind of conversation back when Solomon 
or maybe when David was going to build a temple. First uh, Kings eight twenty seven. I have jotted down. Like obviously God cannot be, you know, you can't build a house for God that he, that's where he's going to be. But it's a place, a special place where God would meet with them. He would, um, in a way, limit himself. Like I'm going to meet with you in a in a special way right here sort of a for their focus to help them okay so um so he's saying i'm god and you're not uh, um, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool and you think about the earth you know our each one of our little realms our little our house and where we live and you know where we go in a typical week and our friends and our work and our relatives and our other activities and church and all that stuff. Each one of us has one of those and some of them overlap. Like we come to Bible study, we're all here, but then our little circles go somewhere else. And, and he's saying all across the world, how many, I don't know, billions of people or whatever, then he says, that's my footstool. In other words, I am way above that. So he's talking about his bigness and the fact that not only... Um, um, let's see, does he remind us that, that he's the creator right here? Yes, yes. For my hand made all these things. Okay, uh, and that's how they came into being. So he says, but even though I am lofty, uh, humongous, I created everything, I am looking for people who are humble, contrite of spirit, and who tremble at my word. Now, um, humble basically means, you know, you recognize your own need. Um, and it can mean even two things like, um, like somebody in literature, they used to say somebody had a humble dwelling. It means it's not great, like by average standards. So it, it can mean just kind of, um, kind of low in the world's estimation, that kind of thing. But a person who's humble, in other words, in heart, contrite of spirit um, just means that the literally that word means uh, like crippled or lame. Um, but it, but um, symbolically, it means your spirit is, you know, you you're low in spirit, you're, you recognize your needs. So actually, humble and contrite of spirit are kind of the same thing. And then they tremble at God's word, tremble at God's word, not out of fear, but out of reverence. Like God said this, you know, it makes us tremble. Okay, so that's who God's looking for. He's high, he's, you know, he's, he's, his, he's transcendent, he's huge, but to this one, I will look. So he's looking for people that recognize their need. And it's kind of like blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Matthew 5 three and four. Okay, so he desires humility. Uh, he doesn't want all these empty rituals and sacrifices with a crummy heart. Uh, remember, we're back to chapter one, where he said, you guys go through the motions and you look real pretty, but I am not impressed because your hearts are not in these sacrifices and these, these um, things that I have ask you to do, told you to do as a way of thinking about me, as a way of, of remembering some truths, you're just going through the motions outwardly and probably, you know, being mad at the guy next to you or something. You know, your heart's not in it. 
So it's kind of that same thing that he wants humble and contrite and all that. <clears throat> and then he talks, but then he goes on and talks about in verse three and, and uh, all these things about he who kills an ox is like one who slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb is like the one who breaks a dog's neck. Not recommended. <coughs> he who offers a grain offering is like one who offers swine's blood. Big no-no, right? No pork in the Jewish um, diet, or certainly you would never sacrifice a swine and use that blood. That would be like the... Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the guy, what's the dude's name? That was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Artaxerxes Epiphanes or something. Yeah. Yes. In, in between the testaments. Okay. Um, so he's saying all these things, um, he who burns incense is like the one who blesses an idol. <coughs> so I think what he's saying is uh, all sin is the same in God's eyes. So if you're going to kill an ox, in other words, I think it means for a sacrifice, and, and you're not doing it for the right reasons, it's, it's, like, you're, it's like murdering somebody. You're, you're just doing some stupid thing, and it has nothing to do with what uh, I've asked you to do. Yes. Yeah. Fake faith, fake faith, not doing, you know, things that God, even if you're doing outwardly something that God asked you to do, but your heart is not in it and you're still rebelling against him, it's not going to achieve what you, what you hoped. Like, also 29.13. I have Isaiah 113 also in the first chapter. 2913 and then 113. Yes. Yeah. 13. 13 in both cases. Um, okay. And then the reason, oh, then he says, as they have chosen their own ways, so kind of like um, since they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. So, in the same way, I will choose their punishments. And then down in um, the very last line of verse 4, it says that they did evil in my sight and chose that in which I did not delight. So he's saying, in the same way that they made their choice, they chose... Um, their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations so in the same way I have a choice to make and I will choose their punishment and will bring on them what they dread because I called but they didn't answer no one answered yeah. oh sorry thank you yeah um, they have chosen they're, they've made their choice, what they want to do, and it's not what I asked them to do. So therefore, I 
God says, will choose their punishment and will bring on them what they dread. Because when I called, they didn't answer. And when um, I spoke, they didn't listen. And they did evil in my sight and chose that in which I did not delight. So he's talking again about punishment for um, disobedience and turning a deaf ear on God. Yes, somebody? Just an amen or something? They chose willfully. Yes, when it says chose, that, yes, it was willful. They know. They know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, verse 5 then, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Remember back up in verse 2 that that's something that pleases God, that there's a reverence, there's a respect, there's a taking it seriously. This is God speaking. I need to listen up and, and pay attention and heed it. So it says, um, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. So now he's talking about uh, the people, the remnant, who, who do respond to him, right? Those who do revere his word. Um, Your brothers who hate you, who exclude you for my name's sake, have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but they will be put to shame. I'm not totally sure about that, uh, the remnant trembles at the word. Your brothers hate you. So I think the fact that it says your brothers suggests that that's other Jews, not Gentiles. Did you, did you think about that? And they exclude you for my name's sake. And they have said, oh, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. Yes, I think the application to persecuted Christians. What's that, Chris? Um, were they just like making fun of? Yeah, seems like they might be making fun of them or like, oh, well, you know, haven't you had somebody say, oh, well, you're one of those religious people, yeah. you know? Sarcastic. Yeah, do this or that. So your brothers who hate you, they hate you. Um, they exclude you for my name's sake because you identify with me. Um, and they've said, oh, let the Lord be glorified. We want to see your joy, but they will be put to shame. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then if you go on into verse 6, it says, A voice of uproar from the city. What city? Jerusalem. Probably Jerusalem, right? A voice from the temple. So now it's getting a little more specific. There's something coming from the city, and now it's from the temple. And in fact, it's the voice of the Lord who is rendering recompense to his enemies. And... Um, down in verse 14, it says he will be indignant toward his enemies. So, okay, so let's look at 7 to 14. It's kind of interesting. What's all this stuff about labor and delivery and babies and nursing and all that stuff? What, what is this picture? It's like all of God's effort to deliver. 
she didn't just go through all this for nothing. But it, it's his plan that he wanted for his son to be. But just he's using the term birth and all that as the fermentation part of the process. Okay. Okay. So Susan says uh, it's it's God, it's God talking about comparing the process of of um, working with and developing his nation and then it'll be visible kind of like the process of a pregnancy and labor and delivery and that it's it's how he has um, he has uh, nurtured and and cared for um, his nation even before it was quote born and when it says can a land be born in one day the second line in verse 8 some people um, think that that refers or could be um, connected with the fact that was it the UN that voted to recognize Israel uh, in 1948 75 years ago last month that suddenly they're a nation I mean they're official you know, they've been a people before, but now they're a nation. But um, he's saying, can a nation be brought forth all at once? And then he, and he says, look, I'm not, I'm not going to come right to the point of birth. And then, like, every baby's been born, you know, or there's been some surgery or something to make it happen. Um, or shall I, who gives delivery, shut the womb? Be joyful and rejoice, because when somebody has a baby, it's usually a happy thing, and people are congratulate them and say, it says, be joyful with Jerusalem and rejoice for her, all you who love her. Be exceeding glad with her, all you who mourn over her. And then it says, you may nurse and be satisfied with her comforting breasts, that you may suck and be delighted with her bountiful bosom. So that means that that Jerusalem, Zion, will be a source of nourishment and life-giving um, something <laughs> for milk for others outside. So he's talking, he's basically saying, look, I, I can do this. Like seven, eight, and nine, he says, you know, I'm not going to just halfway and then like stop. I'm bringing, I've got a plan. I'm going to see it through for my people. And then 10 and 11, we, we ought to be rejoicing about that. And then when you get down to 12, um, it's more, more of the blessings. Because he starts out um, in verse 12, he says, For thus says the Lord. So he's talked about, hey, I'm working on this. Uh, you know, before you have the baby, you don't see a whole lot. You can't see this little hand. You can't see it, you know, anything. You just know that it's on the way. And he says, I'm not going to stop the process somewhere. I'm going to bring it to fruition. And so and then he says, for thus says the Lord, behold, I extend peace to her like a river. Now, who's her? It's Jerusalem. Um, I extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream and you will be nursed, you will be carried on the hip and fondled on the knees. So this little baby's gonna, gonna grow up a little bit, right? As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. So it's like God's, God's like uh, bringing this all about, and he's behind the fact that Jerusalem will be nourishing and uh, comforting and all that stuff. <clears throat> um, yes. Look in verse seven. Before she goes into labor, 
corrupt but it's true. But I think it's yeah. saying that we call on God's timing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Good. Mark's pointing out the absurdity of verse 7 when you look at the process of labor and delivery and everything. He says, before she travailed, she brought forth. And before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy. Um, who's, who's ever heard of such a thing or who has seen such things? So he's saying, no, that's not the way it happens. That's not the way it happens. Have you ever seen it happen that way? No. So I'm in the process. I'm nourishing. I'm nourishing. I'm working. It's growing. There's going to come a time when it's going to be apparent, going to be born, going to be growing, obvious, and blessing to others. Verse 7 is almost the opposite of the curse in Genesis. Yes. Like Good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Verse 7 is kind of like a, a cancellation or the opposite of the curse of in, in pain, you'll bring forth children from Genesis. My Bible says Israel's restoration will be quick, like a woman who gives birth before labor pains begin. Okay, so Israel's restoration will be quick. And that, I think that's when he says in one day and all at once and all that stuff. Okay, so let's see, where are we? Down to about um, 14, he's talking again about a division between his enemies and his servants. So he says, then you will see this and your heart will be glad and your bones will flourish like the new grass. And the hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but he will be indignant toward his enemies. Now we got some more action. The Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on all flesh and those slain by the Lord will be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go to the gardens, that's idolatry, uh, following one in the center who eats swine's flesh flesh, detestable things, and mice will come to an end altogether, declares the Lord. So he's, so he's, talking, he's talked about the blessings and what he's going to do in Jerusalem and Zion and how it's going to be nourishment for others. Now he's talking about, but on the other hand, his indignant, his in, indignance, that's not a word, indignation toward um, his enemies and how he's going to judge them. Anger, fury, you know, fire, flames of fire. So judgment. And then um, down to 18 is the basis. For I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. So now he's talking about uh, these last these last few verses, he's going to talk about the certainty, just kind of to hammer it home, that, that um, there will be a difference between his servants, those who seek him, and the rebels, the idolaters, the, you know, the, the remnant and the rebels. So, so he says, for I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them and will send survivors from them, 
So I think is them all nations, or is it they will come? I guess that's the nations. Hmm. To the nations, I will, I will set a sign among them and will send survivors from them to the nations. And then if you looked on, I think there was a map with our lesson. Um, all these places are kind of around the perimeter of the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, like there's nothing in China or further, yeah, more like toward Turkey, right? Okay, so uh, he says, to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory, they will declare my glory among the nations. So um, are these Jews, Gentiles? Then it gets more interesting. Verse 20, then they shall bring all your brethren from all the nations. And again, I think, I think the use of the word brothers and brethren might suggest that it's Jews. They shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord on horses, in chariots, in litters, on mules, and on camels. Then you look at the illustration on the, our Bible project chart. It's pretty cute. It shows all these different means of transport. Um, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offerings in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. So he's saying, I mean, there's a lot in these three verses. Um, he's saying that they shall bring all your brethren from all the nations like a grain offering in a similar way that the sons of Israel bring their grain offering. So... <clears throat> I think it's, I read in one commentator, and I'm not sure if I agree with this. He said, this guy thinks that it was um, Gentiles coming because they've heard and, you know, seen his glory and all that. But as they come, they're bringing some of the Jews that have been scattered around. I'm not sure. Yes, all the these and days. I know their works and their thoughts. So I think he's talking about the people above, you know, the ones that... that um, all nations well, in verse 18, when he says, I know their works and their thoughts, I think that could be a continuation from verse 17, the people that are in idolatry and eat mice and all this stuff. So it doesn't include Gentiles at all? Um, he talks about all nations. When it says all nations and tongues, I think, I think that's Gentiles. Because he says, the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. Um, but also, um, I will send survivors from them to the nations. So them must be Jews, believing Jews. Um, and then they will declare my glory among the nations. So some, some of the Jews are going to go out, I guess, and be a light to the nations. And both Jews and Gentiles from those nations will come back to Jerusalem. I, that's, that's about the best I can decipher it. Um, I think verse 20 when he says that um, your brethren... Um, 
They shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord in the same way that the sons of Israel bring their grain offering. That makes it sound like they're not sons of Israel. So <laughs> unless he means like the traditional offering that the Israelites have done. Then it gets even more interesting. Verse 21, I will also take some of them for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. So some of whom? It sounds like it's believers from all nations. The Gentile bride, the bride of Christ, the church. Well, and it says, I will take some of them for priests and for Levites. And remember in chapter 56, um, how it was so shocking that people that had, um, well, like, eunuchs could could serve in the temple and like what you know some of the old restrictions are now dropped says for just as the new heavens and the new earth which i make will endure before me declares the lord in the same way your offspring and your name will endure and it shall be from new moon to new moon and from sabbath to sabbath all mankind will come to bow down before me says the lord so that makes it sound like, to me, um, in verse 22, that there'll still be a distinction. Your offspring and your name will endure. That there'll still be, a, somehow there will be a distinction of those that are Jews, but that they will all worship together, Jews and Gentiles. And when it says from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, what it could be saying is, um, worship is to be ongoing and not just on those certain special days that that they had designate that God had designated for the Jews. I'm not sure if that's what that means, but it's a possibility. And all all mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. So again, that hasn't happened yet. So where is it on? When is all mankind going to come and bow down before him? Mm -hmm. After the millennium, probably, right? Great white throne, maybe, judgment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then you have one more verse. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. So the they is all these people. All mankind will come to bow down before me. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched. And they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. The people that will look on the corpses. It says all mankind. I think it means, um, obviously it's not the dead ones. I think it means all the people that have come to Jerusalem to worship, right? Thank you. Um, Barry, is that like Revelation 19, all the corpses and the birds eat them? Is that 
I, I just personally think it's more of a millennial reign because um, they all come to worship, and that's kind of a copy of the Zechariah 14. Yes. Yes. And um, also uh, talks about um, offspring. Um, and according to what Jesus said in, I think it's Matthew 22, there would be no giving or taking of marriage. So it sounds like. So no children. Yeah. No new, no new kids in yeah, heaven. And yeah. There is some, and I'm not sure because it talks about a new heaven, a new earth, and you know that a lot of people think that's the ultimate heaven. But in the millennial reign, there's again going back to Zechariah, some hypocrisy rearranged. You know, we, I think we talked yes. about last week, Sylvia and I. Okay. So the Mount of Olives is split in two. Yes. And there's a river, and you have to read. The river flows people, out. Mm -hmm. Big river flowing out. So. Mm -hmm. Well, also, if you have, if it says they're going to look on corpses, okay, so that means death, right? Yeah. So, so death into the lake of fire in chapter 20. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how long the corpses have been there, but I thought it was kind of odd <clears throat> that that last verse is like a real, <laughs> a real downer, right? But I think it's just like, listen. Listen, this is serious. This is serious, you know. He's gone through all this stuff, and then, he's, and then it's hope, judgment, hope, judgment, hope. But then the very last word is, you don't, you don't have to, you know, there's hope. You don't have to do this. This is, what, this is the consequence for those that don't listen, that don't turn to me, that don't seek me, that don't tremble at my word. In verse 14. Mm-hmm. I think it's the Jerusalem being um, giving birth, being restored. Yeah, Zion coming to. Jerusalem has been restored as the capital of Jerusalem. Capital of Israel. She said, does it mean when Jerusalem is restored as the capital of Israel? I think it's more than that because it talks about um, rejoice, all you who love her, be exceedingly glad. Um, you know, I, I don't think verse 11. Yeah, I don't think verse 11 is um, like Jerusalem is not considered the center of, of nourishment and... and um, health and verse 12 uh, peace sure. yeah so some of that I mean it could be partially fulfilled but I think that this this stuff hasn't happened yet okay um, so that it's kind of kind of a head jerk when you read that last verse but I think it's just wanting to have um, that warning that like you know this is serious business yeah, all these great things are going to happen, but make sure that you're in the remnant part and not the rebel part. So, all right. Um, thank you so much. I'm just, I'm just so pleased at, at all of you that have persevered through this challenging study. And, um, and we will uh, see you in the fall for James. Again, it's a really good... Um, uh, uh,
uh, entry-level class for somebody you know that you're inviting to take part make sure you get them on board early enough that we can get them a book and um, we will see you then